0: Let us pray. Heavenly Father, as we continue to look at your word in 2 Corinthians 5 today, may your Holy Spirit continue leading us to a better understanding of your will for our lives and how we can live those lives in a matter that pleases you. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. This being Father's Day, you may have been expecting a sermon on fatherhood, how our Abba Father is the perfect model for those of us granted the privilege of fatherhood here on earth. How even when those he loved rebelled against him, ignored him, ridiculed him, his love was so great that he gave of himself to reconcile his enemies. How when those rebels had a change of heart he welcomed them back into his family as full members. How he disciplines his children, not in wrath, but in love. A love that is not afraid to be hard when the circumstances require it. How he all, he's always there for his children through the good times and the bad times, but especially the bad times. I was thinking of this and it started along that course but felt the Holy Spirit leading me to complete some unfinished business from last week. So as the first word in 2 Corinthians 5.11 is therefore, let us once again review the last few verses of last week's epistle to understand the therefore. Verses nine and 10. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Continuing in verse 11. Therefore, knowing the fear of God, we persuade others. Now Paul is not writing about fear of the wrath of God leading to death because for believers that was dealt with at the cross and now he disciplines us with the love of a heavenly Father. Instead, Paul is describing a reverence of the awesomeness of God. As the psalmist writes, the Lord values those who fear him, those who put their hope in his faithful love. Psalm 147:11. Paul and Timothy fear failing in their aim to please him in their struggles for the church at Corinth against the false teachers, the false gospel, as they try to persuade others of the validity of their authority in speaking the true gospel. And he continues, but what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. The Holman Bible translation has, we are completely open before God. That is who they really are, their true inner selves, are like an open book before God. And he hopes also before the church in Corinth. He hopes that their character, their words, will encourage the Corinthians to rebuke the false teachers who are more concerned with outward appearances and not the condition of the heart, the spirit, before God. He writes in verse 13, If we are out of our minds it is for God. If we are of sound mind, it is for you. That's from the net translation. If there are those following the false teachers who consider him crazy, he is only obeying the leading of the Holy Spirit and obeying God's purpose for his life. And he desires the Corinthians to see his teachings for what they are, the Word of God. He continues in verse 14, 15, for the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all. Therefore, all have died. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Did you notice the shift in this verse? He starts by saying, that they have no choice that's Paul and Timothy but to live in obedience to God because of Christ's sacrificial love for them and he concludes that Christ died for all so all who live that is believe that death is swallowed up in victory of the cross and resurrection should also live Christ-centered, not self-centered lives. All should make it our aim to please Him in all we do while still here in our tents? How much have we allowed the ways of the world into our lives that they no longer reflect the glory of God? Do we live our lives in a manner that people notice the difference, that invite questions, and yes, ridicule and persecution too, as to why we are who we say we are? In chapter four, Paul wrote, we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body, the death of Jesus, so the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our mortal flesh. How often do we think we know somebody by what we see in the flesh? That is what we see in our, their actions, hear in their words. Are our reactions limited to those facts? Paul writes, verse 16, From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. That was how Paul, before Damascus, reacted to Jesus. And even many today continue on the same path. He saw someone who seemed to upset the apple cart, broke with tradition, contradicted the ways of the world, made him feel discomfort with his lifestyle, called for changes he wasn't willing to make, a turn from self-centeredness to one who claimed sovereignty over his life. But the road to Damascus changed all of that. It became the road to the kingdom through Christ Jesus, the real Jesus, Truly the Son of God, as He claimed all along. And this new relationship is available to all. Of us. He continues in verse 17: Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, He is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God. Can you believe that? Not only has God promised new buildings to replace our worn-out tents, but he starts on the inside first so that our inner beings will fit the new building. Paul here is not talking of a time change. One minute we were unbelievers and then we were believers. Rather, like the tent body in comparison to the promised glorified body, our inner self also is transformed into a different quality, a different nature. Paul says it more eloquently and clearly than I can in Ephesians 4. But that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. It's verses 20 to 24. We are to work out our new reality. It's not a case of accepting our new creation from God and getting on with our lives as they they once were. We must intentionally put off, that is, repent of, our old self, our old nature, our old worldview and turn to see the world through God's eyes as the Holy Spirit guides us into living the righteousness and holiness that is being set apart for the purpose of God that comes with being in Christ. Paul then says the reconciliation with God the Father through Christ was not the end, but a further step to completing his desire for the world to come to him by appointing believers to continue the reconciliation with the word of salvation. Verse 18 and 19 20, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their transgressions against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. Some of you may ask, Isn't Paul referring to Paul and Timothy as the ambassadors? What does that have to do with us? Firstly, if only Paul and Timothy, what of the other apostles and the new believers who took the good news from Jerusalem throughout the Middle East? Were they not also ambassadors of reconciliation? Secondly, if the us in verses 18 and 20 who through Christ reconciled us to himself, only refers to Paul and Timothy. How does that follow from verse 17? Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. All this is from God. Surely he's not just talking of himself here. Thirdly, Jesus in his prayer for the church in John 17 says, We are in the world, but not of the world. Peter calls us sojourners, those earning a living in a land not of their own, and exiles, those who are estranged from their own land. It's 1 Peter 2.11. So if we are here on earth but don't belong here, where is our home now? In Ephesians 2.19, Paul reminds us, that even though we may be considered strangers and aliens by the world, remember we are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Notice the tense. Even in our current temporary tent bodies, we are currently citizens of the kingdom of God. We now come back to something I mentioned last week. There are many times when we say Lord, why can't we leave? Why must we stay here? Why are we away from you? Why are we afflicted? But it's not by hap chance. If the Lord leaves us here, then he has a purpose. We are here to serve him. We are here because it's God's will for us to still be here, for our work is not complete. In Paul's time, An ambassador was someone who brought a message from the king of one country to another for the purpose of negotiation. In verses 18 and 20, Paul states that we are to bring the word of salvation to reconcile the people of the world to God on his terms. This is how the early church grew. Ordinary, saved people with the salvation message, talking to ordinary, unbelieving people, to bring them under the teachings of the apostles and church elders. Romans ten thirteen to 15 says, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? Actually, of the several Greek words translated as preached, this one, "caruso," probably has the weakest meaning of preaching and is clearer to say proclaiming, especially as Paul then quotes from Isaiah 52:7, How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes, publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. So God's purpose for leaving us here in our tent bodies is not to perfect our own sanctification, our own holiness, so as to be complete when he calls us home. He will finish the work he has started Rather, it is to live our lives that he has granted us in Christ, living out the sanctification under the leading of the Holy Spirit, so as to glorify him in the eyes of those around us, and in so doing, bring people into his kingdom. Let us look at the Philippian jailer converted in Acts sixteen twenty-five to 34 as an example of outreach with the message. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened, and everybody's bonds were unfastened. What must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. And he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them and he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. Let us close in prayer. O Lord, from whom all good proceeds, grant us the inspiration of your Holy Spirit that we may always think those things that are good and by your merciful guidance may accomplish the same. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen.